Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does making friends as an adult feel so what hard? What should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a form of But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We We want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Our guest today is a former entertainment executive known for her expertise in building artist careers. She's Jay-Z's former attorney and helped build Rock Nation from the ground up. She's also behind some of the entertainment industry's biggest deals from Rihanna, Shakira, Beyonce, like no big deal, you guys. I was kind of fangirling. Since the start of her career, Jennifer has championed gender equality and diversity in the workplace and beyond. Most recently, she is the founder of the Justice Department, a female-focused advisory, consulting, and law firm advocating for female founders talent, and brands, all with the mission of helping women to get the pay that they deserve. We stand a woman fighting for other women. Her client roster is full of the most iconic brands and talents like The Class by Taryn Toomey, Female Founder Collective, Parsley Health, and Cleo Wade, just to name a few. So Jennifer's a badass, guys. I had so many questions for her. You know I had to get some tea on the entertainment industry and what it was like working with Jay-Z and Beyonce. Especially like she was in her 20s being one of the only women in this huge, scary, male-dominated music industry. Like it sounds gnarly. So, you know, I had to get the scoop about all that, some tea. She had a lot of interesting stories about that time. But Jennifer also gives so many good tips on advocating for yourself and how to negotiate for better salary, why you should be negotiating for better salary. Like I've learned tips, or even like insight that Jennifer gives in this interview that I have never heard before. It's really interesting and I think really helpful. I just feel like every woman, no matter job or what industry you're in, there's a takeaway for everybody in this episode. So let's get into it. Please welcome the one and only Jennifer Justice to the Every Girl Podcast. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us on the Every Girl podcast. We are going to start at the very beginning of your career. How did you get into the entertainment industry, first of all? Well, that is a long story. So I'm going to try to keep it, you know, short. I started my (laughs) career, I'm the first generation going to even college, right? So I really wanted to go to college. I really wanted to be successful. I didn't really know doing what. I went to University of Washington. I graduated and I didn't know what to do. And the career counselors weren't really helping me. So I kind of hung out in Seattle for a while and then decided, well, this isn't going to work because I'm just kind of doing a, a job, not a career. And I decided to go to law school. So 
During um, the application process for law school, I just met some people who were like, you know, that there's music entertainment lawyers. They knew I was passionate about music and there's a lot of them that are women. And I was like, okay, great. That's what I'm going to do. And I ended up getting into Cornell Law School solely to become a music attorney, which is you know, not a very easy thing to do. You can't just like apply for a job and get in. And, you know, when I was interviewing for various different law firms, you know, and trying to kind of find a way in an an angle, I actually happened to meet somebody who was like, "Mm," you know, and in the interview process, he was, you know, in one of the law firms and he was kind of like, you seem like you want to go be a music attorney. I was like, I did not even say that, you know, and he was like, yeah, but you're from Seattle. And, you know, so it kind of seems like that. And I was like, okay, well, yes, that's what I want to do. And he goes, okay, well, you know, why don't you come learn how to be a real lawyer? And then after a while, you know, work here and then I can introduce you to some people. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I was there for about a year and a half and he started introducing me to some people who um, were looking for young associates. And I interviewed with the one place that I thought would be the most amazing place. And it like had all the big artists and they they still exist and have a lot of the really, really big artists. And I walk in there and it was dark paneled walls and, and it was supposed to be music attorney, you know, music entertainment place. And I thought it would be like more lively, et cetera. And it wasn't. And it was all men. And I interviewed and I had about four different interviews and I was like, "Mm, this doesn't seem to place for me. And I literally finally was like, where are the women? And they were like, uh, what? You know, they're all out there. And I was like, they're the assistants. Okay, I got it. And I didn't get that job. But then I got, you know, interviewed at another one. And it happened to be a guy leaving from that place, starting his firm with a bunch of other music attorneys. And I interviewed there and immediately they were like, I could tell that they they really loved me and it was a good fit. And, you know, they offered me the job. And so that's how I got into music entertainment. And one of the first clients I started working with was a very then unknown Jay-Z at the time. It's so wild that he was like unknown. Like that was like pre-huge fame. Did you know about him before you started working with him? I did. Actually, the funny thing is, is they were like, well, we have all these artists that are big at the time. This is like late... It's like 2000, you know what I mean? And they were kind of, they were like, yeah, we have Dave Matthews Band and uh, Marilyn Manson and Sugar Ray and Sinead O'Connor and, you know, all these, they're tricky, you know, and all these different artists. And they were like, oh, and and, and we have this young hip hop artist named Jay-Z. And I was like, oh, Reasonable Doubt's my favorite album. They're like, what? <laughs> That's so funny. You knew the album that he had out yeah. that was still relatively unknown. That's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you remember like the first meeting with Jay-Z or like the first meeting with Beyonce, like those iconic stars? Do you remember those first meetings with them? I do remember the first with Jay because he wasn't as big at the time. We were doing his album called The Hard Knock Life and we're putting all of the documents, et cetera, together. And we he walked in the room and, you know, yeah. So I remember meeting him, of course. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Was he like really nice? Was he quiet? Yeah, he was super. Yeah, of course. Super nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like we were both at a Def Jam meeting. And so he came in not knowing who it was. And he was like, oh, right. You're like, you know, the new attorney working on my stuff. So. Yeah, of course. That's so cool. He's a nice human being. Yeah. I'm sure now it's like getting, you know, approached. It's not as, after a while, it's a little difficult. So it's, you know, when you get your household name-ish, it's much more difficult, you know? Yes. When you're that level, I'm sure it changes 
everything, of course. It's got to. I'm so curious what the entertainment industry was like for you. It seems like it's got to be gnarly, especially being so male-dominated as it was that time. So what was it like for you? What was your experience? I didn't know there was such a thing as a glass ceiling. And honestly, I think I was luckier than most women in the fact that because I was in a field such as legal, people don't really want to mess with lawyers in a sexual harassment way. I know many, many other women. And I don't really feel like the music industry has changed that much at all. Honestly, it's like hides, tries to hide it a little bit more, but it's not as, it's it's still just as sexist as it always has been and misogynistic. And it's not very inviting to women. Um, it's a very small business with the same people who are running it, you know, which is, that's why it's so odd. And music's much different than film TV. It's much, film TV is much broader. There's so much more of it, you know, music, it still boils down to three major labels that put out most of the music, you know? So it's very consolidated, you know, but I definitely felt a glass ceiling and I definitely felt it early on. And I definitely felt all the double standards, you know, the guys could go out as late as they wanted, do whatever they wanted, date whoever they wanted while being married even. And the women were, you know, it's a big archetype there. Most, if not all of the men who work in the music industry have non-working wives. So there's like an archetype of the woman who is working in the music industry. So everything from unequal pay, which, you know, I still see today to, you know, not getting the same amount of money billing on a festival, which we still see today, which dominated by male producers, mixers, engineers and in the creative field, which still happens today. And the music industry has never been run by a woman. It's always uh, a man at the top who runs everything. Wow. Still to this day, which any other industry. It's always had at least a woman running it other than the United States of America, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. Good point. That's so crazy though. That's so true. I mean, that makes sense that it's, it's still very much that male dominated system. So there was a lot of that showing up. Was it hard for you ever to do your job because of that, because of that glass ceiling and kind of that male dominated factor? Yeah, it was really hard in particular when I had purview into other people's salaries, um, men's salaries, people who are doing the equivalent work to women and seeing that the women were vastly underpaid, in particular, you know, getting up to the C-suite. It's hard to see the women that are there be treated the you know, the way that they are, including even, you know, the highest echelon who, for the most part, have been there for the last 20 years. You know, no, the it hasn't changed. The people who are running it has not changed at all in 20, 25 years. And so in hearing and listening to the excuses of why they aren't paying the talent or executives equally, everything from, well, her husband makes a lot of money or, you know, she has kids and he needs to, you know, take care of his family or she's single and doesn't have kids. So she doesn't need the money or, you know, she's bossy and aggressive. You know, he's passionate and assertive, you know, it's like, that's the same thing. Just one's couched in the negative and one in the positive. And so, you know, and I personally, I felt that I was victim of double standards all the time. I mean, you know, if I was out late having fun not, and I got almost fired by somebody because they saw me out at two in the morning and I was like, I, I'm sorry, I don't have a life. I live in New York City. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And well, isn't that like a legal issue? Like it, 
aren't, isn't there, wasn't there HR at the time? Not if it's a client, it's a client that, you know, they're clients that they can fire us for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. As their lawyers. Yeah. Oh my God. But you don't think it would have been the same if you were a man, they would have seen you at it 2 oh, a.m. And I, like, I was with a man that was also in my firm. And they were going <laughs> to fire you and not the man. Well, because he wasn't technically their lawyer, but then he was fine with hiring him to be the lawyer afterwards if I wasn't there. Oh my God. Your lawyer can't be out and having a good time. It's like, it's not like I'm operating on your back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Right. I'm not going into a litigation. I'm your music attorney, meaning I negotiate deals for you. Our offices didn't even open until 10. Most people didn't get until 11. It's the music industry. It was, you know, it was like pretty crazy. And it was probably like, I would imagine most people, even behind the scenes of the music industry, like you were very involved in nightlife and going out. And like, I would imagine that was part of the expectation. Yeah. A lot of it is that. And that's where it's like the lines get so blurred because so much happens at night and there's drinking and yeah, you have to go see your bands play. You have to go. That's part of your job bringing people there to see them and, you know, trying to get them exposure and all of the above. Oh my God. That must've been so crazy. I'm curious, what, what was your like favorite part of working in the industry at that time? It was, you know, just the discovery and watching your artists kind of climb up from being relatively obscure to just being like household names. It's always been amazing and, and protecting them in a way that it's, It's like they could pursue their creative craft and passion while protecting them from the wolves and the vultures of trying to get as much out of them as possible for as little as possible. I always loved that. And, you know, it started my um, understanding of how good I was at advocating and advocating for people who were underestimated and underpaid and all the unders. You know what I mean? It was like, and overworked. And so I knew I was really good at representing creatives or, you know, artists and talent and, you know, people who weren't really from the business side of things and marrying art and commerce in a way that didn't feel icky to them and felt authentic to them and could actually put money in their pockets and, you know, generate wealth for them. Wow. I imagine that was really hard because probably from what I've heard, there's a lot of like the upper people are trying to obviously take advantage. So it was probably hard for you to fight for the people that were on the rise and that you knew were going to be huge, but they were not to that level yet. And so trying to advocate them must've been difficult, I can imagine. Well, you know, it's always an uphill battle. And the irony is always like the shiny new toy actually gets a lot of money. And then people who are like in there grinding and doing like selling millions of albums are like, oh, well, we're not going to, you know, pay them any more money. We have a contract. And they're like, well, you just paid a million dollars to somebody who's never recorded one song before, just so you can compete for somebody else. It's a very funny business like that. But that's kind of entertainment, right? It's like, let me get the shiny new toy so no one else can have it. And then it's like, okay, well, let's hope they actually something happens with the shiny new toy. Yeah. That was the same for many executives too. Negotiating for a man and entry level, getting 130000 immediately and then doing his boss's deal and she's offered ninety. You know, she's just like left and right. And did you notice that for artists too? Like a, a female artist would be offered less than a male artist? Yes and no. It's kind of hard to compare apples to apples when it comes to artists because you'd have to like 
literally get the exact same kind of deals, exact same genre where they would have the exact same audience to do that. But, you know, where we saw more is like on the big, you know, stages of festivals, et cetera, you know, and sometimes with respect to sponsorship endorsement deals, you know, what they would get offered. That makes sense. I'm sure it's hard to compare, but it's just crazy knowing how much of that disparity is going on in the industry, like even just behind yeah. the scenes. Like that's so, it's crazy. And I, because you were in your 20s. Yeah. 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 You're in your 20s. You're young. You're a woman in a male dominated industry. How did you kind of cement yourself as this badass, powerful lawyer that you are when there was a lot of these double standards going on? You know, I had clients that I had real trust with, you know, excluding the one that we talked about earlier, but um, that they knew that I was doing it for all the right reasons and really going toe to toe with, you know, every single kinds of deal. And, and you know, I, I really cared about what I was doing and what I was fighting for. And I knew that I was doing it for all the right reasons. And, you know, at the time I had bosses that actually supported me, you know, in that they were like, great, you know, let's see what she does because the better I do, the better they do and the better, you know, all of our clients are doing. And, you know, they had the same ethos, which was great. And, you know, I wouldn't have been supported at that other firm that I originally thought was going to be, you know, that had no men. I mean, no women that all had all men. So, you know, it was definitely tough. And sometimes it was, you know, depressing, but I knew I was doing it for the races and I was good at it and I loved it, you know, because those, the wins that you did get were made it all worthwhile. That's probably helped a lot when you have the confidence in yourself. Cause I can imagine if you were, you know, feeling unconfident and unsure and having imposter syndrome as so many people do, it probably would have been a lot harder to stick it out and tell yourself like, yeah. no matter what other people are saying, I'm good. I got this. I'm good at this. Well, the other thing is, remember, I'm negotiating for somebody else, not myself. If I was doing it for myself, all of those things would have been true. And, you know, I'd still get nervous before negotiations or I'd still like, you know, asks for certain things or have to like do something, you know, face to face or, you know, on a phone. It's much more intimidating that way. But ultimately, I wasn't negotiating for me, which is much harder, right? I was not, you know, I think anybody that thinks that, you know, because I sound confident or it sounded like I was confident, it wasn't me negotiating for me. Like, <laughs> that's still difficult, you know, it was me negotiating for other people that didn't, that, you know, needed me to stand up for them. Otherwise, they would be taken advantage of. That's such a good point. Isn't that interesting that it, I think that's probably true for everybody is it's easier to advocate for someone else than it is for yourself. Yeah. You know, I give tips to women, you know, all the time about that and how you can do it and and avoid those things. You know, one of which is uh, you kind of take that same kind of thinking and be like, okay, what is it that you love in life more than yourself? For me, it's my kids. You know, maybe it's your dog, maybe it's your cat, maybe it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe it's your parents, maybe, maybe it is yourself and it is good for you. Keep it that way. But like, you know, when somebody is trying to get more out of you or take advantage of you, they're really doing that to that thing, that entity that is, that you love so much, right? Because it is going to take more time away from them or it, it is going to, um, you know, take more resources away and make me feel bad or resentful ultimately, because I know that I'm being taken advantage of and that will hurt, 
you know, our relationship too. So, you know, when you think about it that way, if you, if it's really hard for you to stand up for yourself, you got to, you know, think about it that way and it makes things a lot easier to negotiate for yourself. That's a really good tip. I love that. And it's, it is interesting because I, I, I'm like, that wouldn't help so much. Like in my brain of like, okay, thinking about I'm fighting for my family, like something that I love. But I'm also thinking like, why don't I love myself that much? You know, like that's, it's an interesting just like to point out how many people feel that it's easier to advocate for something that you love and something outside of you than it is for yourself. And that's such a good tip to help. But I think it, it's make me think like, why is it so hard? You know, like, why don't we have that like inner self-worth and love that we know what we deserve, you know? So I, and I yeah. know you have so many good tips for women on that. What else do you tell women who struggle to advocate for themselves? Any other tips? Try not to do it face-to-face. Like if you're being, you know, if there's a review or there's, you know, a discussion about a promotion and and somebody's coming to you with that, you know, and if it has to be on the phone or face-to-face, you know, you take it in and say, okay, thank you for that. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And then form all your thoughts in an email in response. There, you know, we have so many ways to communicate now. You don't have to do it face-to-face. And if you feel more confident doing it that way, and then that way you can also run it by whoever it is that, you know, you need to, whether that's your, you know, that's your tribe of people that you put together, that's your own board of advisors, you know, to do that and do it that way. The other thing is have a board of advisors, have those women and men, you know, but like, you know, women I find can support them, each other, you know, because we've all been through the same thing and and it's going to, it continues to happen. And, you know, that literally have your back in the workplace. They don't have to be your best friends. They don't have to be the people that you go out with on the weekends or whatever, but they're the ones that are just as ambitious as you and have been through the same things and be like, okay, no, this is crazy. You need to ask for this or, you know, and feel free to ask for all the things. That's another way that I I find is much more helpful than getting confronted face-to-face. When you're face-to-face and and you're responding to something, then a lot of emotions come out. So kind of to remove that part is probably so helpful. Yeah. I'm curious about negotiating salaries too. I know that this is a lot of what you talk about with the Justice Department, but what tips do you have for someone? I kind of, I have a twofold question. The first one being like just general negotiation tips. The other thing I'm curious your advice on is like, how does someone know what they're even worth to begin with? You know, I think that that's something a lot of women struggle with is like, how do I even know what I should be expecting and asking for? Well, so let's go to the first one, which is just general negotiating tips of the salary. You know, now, thank God, there's a lot more laws in place to protect people and individuals and their salaries. First of all, no one can ask you what you made prior. Okay. And New York in particular is a law that they can't ask you. And the second is they have to give salary bans. But if you're in a state that does not like say that, you know, you, instead of saying, what do you want? Don't respond by saying what you want, right? Say, ask them what the basically salary ban is, right? Women in particular don't negotiate well for themselves. So if you name something, I guarantee you they were thinking something higher. That has happened 99.99% of the time when I represent women in their careers. They'll be like, oh, you know, I'm fine with this amount. And then they come with something much higher, you know? And men will always give the advice like, name the first offer. That works for them. It doesn't work for us because our first offer is not going to be high. 
Interesting. So ask what it is. Now, no, there are instances where it is so low that you're like, okay, I can't. There are such things as deals too bad to accept. Okay. And that's okay. You know, if you have zero other options, try to get the most you possibly can, you know, and, and then move on. But we can go back to that later. But another negotiating tip is when they do say whatever that is, you have to go back and ask for more. They might not say yes, but you should always ask for 20 to 30% more. Always. Really? Even yes. if like you were fine with that price to begin with? Yes, because that is setting the tone for the rest of your career. Let's say you stay at that firm. Maybe you love it and you want to work your way to the top. Even if you worked your way to the CEO, you're still going to be making less than a CEO that got hired off the street because you started so low. You know, it's, you know, traditionally the way to make more money is to go from place to place to place, right? Because then you can really jump up, you know. It's hard to really get big, big jumps, even with big um, title changes. So, you know, it is, um, it's much better, A, to let them name the price. B, always go back, ask for 20 to 30% more. Make sure you have a title that's also affiliated with that and who you're reporting to. Make sure that those things are clear. And also severance, like if something happens, what do you get? Those things are really important. It's not just your salary. If there's a term affiliated with it, like how long is that term? You know, how long are you obligated to stay there? And those things are really going to set the tone for you for then building upon that and building on, on top of it, you know, because there's a big difference in starting at 50,000 and 70,000, you know, adding 10% a year, that's 10,000 versus 14. And then compounding over and over time. If you don't negotiate your first salaries, you're at least, you know, you're behind millions of dollars at the end of your career. Wow. I have never thought of it that way, but that makes so much sense. Like I think like when I started my first job out of college, I'm like, I'll take whatever, but like I'm a 21 year old, like I'll take anything. But But that makes sense that it's setting you up for the rest of your career and trajectory. So that's fascinating. So what if someone is already established in their career and they want to be negotiating a raise or, you know, whatever it is, or they're hopping to a new job? What are those tips for someone who is already on their path? I mean, on their path, a lot of the same things apply. And, you know, in a little bit back to, to the second question, like you need to do your research. Now there's so much research out there and there's salary bans, publicly traded companies have a lot of the salaries, you know, not if it, they don't say individuals, but the titles, you can do a lot of research that way. You know, if you're, you know, you're being recruited by an executive recruiter, you know, one of the things that most people think is like, well, they're negotiating on my behalf. They are not negotiating on your behalf. They're nego- they are hired by the company. Follow the money. <laughs> Whoever is paying, that is who they're loyal to, right? And I've even had clients of mine in C-suite. They're like, no, they said that's all they have. I said, why are you negotiating with an executive recruiter? If you're a VP or above, you need to hire an attorney to negotiate for you. It's totally standard. I do it all day long. That's what I do. I, it's one of the things, the services I offer. I, I negotiate people's salaries. And when somebody offers a job, then, I, then they hand it off to me. And I say, this is what we want. And you know, I do the full package for them. And then I do their executive employment agreement if they're getting that kind of stuff. You know, the other way that we work with them is we Cyrano to Bergerac emails for people. You know, I know your audience is much younger and probably can't afford it at this time, but 
these are the, you know, the tips that I'm giving before too, are just as important, you know, if you, until you can hire somebody, you know, having your tribe, doing your research, and then like, how do you know what you're worth? A lot of it's online. A lot of it, that research is out there. And your career counseling centers know, you know, from your colleges, what people are offering and paying. And it's fine. So, so when somebody tells you, particularly in a place that now they have to expose the salary bands, you know, if the salary band is, you know, 80 to 100, ask for 100. Let them tell you why they can't get 100. You know what I mean? And then if you can't, maybe they're going to say, no, you know, this is your first job. It's going to be 80. Okay, then let's do, you know, 85 the second year. You know? And you can have that plan of like, okay, I will accept 80 for this year with the intention that by next year. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, you know, there's other things. There's a thing, it's called COLA, cost of living um, advance. I think the A is for, I've never actually, because I always call it cost of living increase, but cost of living um, is, a, is a traditional thing where people get, you know, increases in salaries. You know, you can ask if that is something that they, they do on a yearly basis and then uh, a bonus, like what is the bonus? You know, how is that calculated? And the thing is, the bonuses are often tied to your salary and your title. So that's why a title can be very important. So people are like, I don't need the title. You need the title. You need the title not only because you need the title for wherever you're going to next, because that matters. And that actually speaks to what you do, right? Versus the salary, which the next company's not going to know about. You don't look on LinkedIn for salaries. You look at LinkedIn on what somebody's title is. True. So the title is really important. So maybe if you can't get the 100,000 in there, instead you can up getting director, you can get a senior director at 80 versus a director at 100. That makes sense. So like the, the title is important because you can use that in the next job you're going to yeah. get to kind yeah. of get you that much higher up and and kind of... Not only that, yeah, because you want to move to VP. You know what I mean? The next thing, you want to keep moving. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's so... I mean, I it's like, I never learned these things. Like, why did no one teach me this in college? Well, I know this is, this is something, and this is like, I do, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a course soon and I'm going to teach all, you know, all of these different things in a longer format, because I don't find that enough of it's out there for women to understand. And, you know, that all of these things are available to ask for. And, you know, the other point that I want to make too, is in particular, if you're an outward facing, even if you're an inward, you know, kind of, you know, role, doesn't really matter. If you're not advocating for yourself, are you going to advocate for the company, right? And so it's a way to show your skills in, you know, advocating and communicating really well and doing these things, right? So advocating for yourself, especially if you're in something like in sales or revenue generation or partnerships, it's like, if you can't advocate for yourself, then why do they think they're, you're going to advocate for them? It doesn't mean they're not necessarily going to hire you. But it's definitely in the back of their head that they're like, oh, yeah, I can just, you know, anything gets by them. So now I'm going to have to double check their work because, like, are they really going to bat for the company? I like that mindset because I think for a lot of women, and I can speak for myself, it's easy to get in the mindset of, 
I don't want to come off really pushy or I don't want to come off like I am like bigger than my britches, you know? So it's like yours. I think a lot of people don't ask for those things because they're so nervous of how they're coming off to their employer. So I like that way to switch it of like, it's actually could be a good thing to your employer to see that you are advocating for yourself. And that's a good value that you will instill when it comes to advocating for the company. Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting way to look at it. You know, and it is a mindset. It's like, Look, women are more community-based. We don't like to rock the boat, you know? And it's something that we have to get out of, you know, and get out of the habit of when it comes to advocating for ourselves until you can hire an attorney to do it. And then you let them go wild. Before that, you have to get comfortable, um, you know, being like selfish about it and not really worrying because you you do deserve it. And, and it does affect you way down the line you know, for the rest of your life. Like, so, you know, you can continue to negotiate and understand that, like, this is what everybody does. And, you know, from the mindset also of the company, think about it. They've gone through a bunch of different candidates, right? They've gone through a ton of them. They've landed on you. Maybe they landed on a couple of you. That's okay. But they've landed on you. All right. So they already put all that human capital, time and labor toward it, and they don't want it to go away. Like... Usually you kind of, you've made your decision and then you go and you try to negotiate salary, right? And then you have a second and third choice if things are just too crazy. And then, you know, you can make your decision then, but they've already made their decision. They want this deal to happen. Understand that they psychologically want this deal to happen so they can hire the person and go on with their lives. Hiring people takes a lot of human capital time and effort. That's a really good point and a good way to kind of reckon Another yeah. reason why it's okay for you to be asking for more and like why you yes. should, because you're yeah. you're also saving their time to have to go back and hire someone else. And exactly. so that's a really, really good way to think of it. So let's say for someone who has been at their company for, even if it's been a couple of years or whatever, even 10 years, 15 years, and they're feeling like they're listening to this and like, I need to be asking for more. I haven't advocated myself at all during my career, during my time here. How do you recommend someone who has already been with the company for an amount of time to ask for that raise, that bonus, whatever it is, other benefits? Like, do they bring up their performance? Do they just bring up, I've done research in the industry standard? Like, what are those things that they should bring to that meeting? Yeah, first is a list of everything that they've done, right? How they've either made the company money or saved the company money and literally have it in front of them. Look, I've done this. I've saved the company this much money because I've instituted these things. I have, you know, if you're in like an HR, I've helped retain people. Your retention rate has gone up. You know, whatever it is that you've done for the company that has made the company better. Like be prepared with all of that. Then do the research on the outside. What else is there? What what are other people making? As much as you can on the inside of the company, you can ask people questions about the inside. People have this thing where they say, you can't talk to each other about your salaries. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. It's actually illegal to tell your employees that you can't tell each other what. That's what unions are about. So unions are about. Well, so everywhere, yeah. every state, every company, you yes. should you are allowed to ask other employees. You are what allowed. Do. Yes, yes. You wow. cannot stop people from doing that. Okay, that's a good tip. So whether or not they will is another thing, right? Whether or not they're going to tell you is another thing. You know, people will have confidence. I have confidentiality, etc. I mean, look, I wouldn't go saying, "Well, Bob told me he makes ninety thousand dollars," but you, you know, if you say, "I have authority that X Y Z has this," how do you know? I just do. 
You know what I mean? If they say, how do you know? They just told you. It's true. Good point. Yeah. You know, or you can say, I didn't know you. Now you just told me. (laughs) But, you know, hopefully it doesn't come down to that, like the trickery. But, you know, you can do that. One of the things that I would suggest before you do that is actually go out there and see what else is out there and start looking for another job. Because the best kind of leverage you can have is when somebody else wants you, is that's when you're going to get the most amount, right? And if you're, you know, and you just have to be honest with yourself, you know, half of it is for women, a particular patriarchal system that definitely holds us back in many different ways. Half of it is us. You know, we just talked about the ways that, you know, we don't like to advocate for ourselves, whatever, but we can get very complacent. We can listen to people going, you know, we don't really have the money and we didn't have a good year. If that's not your, you know, responsibility or due to what you your actions were, and it was something that was not a decision that you had anything to do with, it's not your problem either. You know, this is a job. This is not your family. This is not personal. This is a job. This is a business. And if they're really that bad, they will fire you in a second. You know, it's like everyone's disposable. And, you know, you, and I, I don't want to make it sound so negative or dark, but it's like you, you kind of have to go there when it comes to business. You want to have fun. You want to do something that's purpose-driven. You want to make a difference. You want to, you know, be successful. You want to grow. But ultimately, you can do that at other places too, you know? And, you know, you got to go to the place that's going to let you thrive. And if you feel like you've contributed a lot and you're not getting paid for that, and there's a ton of resistance, then you're not at the right place, right? And so first and foremost, you should be looking to see what else is out there. Then you should also simultaneously be doing all the things that we talked about previously, listing all of your accomplishments, how long you've been there, you know, where you want to go and where you want to go and why. And then if you're not getting the right answers and you're not, you know, they're saying, well, we don't think that, you know, you deserve X, Y, Z, ask them how and why you can. Okay. Can I get there? Is there in, you know, in-house like job training? Do you know, do I need, you know, better leadership skills? Is there a coach that you guys can hire for me? Is there some kind of, you know, human resource that we can get for this, you know, to help me in these, these areas, you know, they should be wanting the most out of their people, you know? Yeah. And that probably shows a lot of initiative too, to be like, I'm very driven to get to this place in my career. You tell me what can I do to get there if they say no. I think that's such a good tip. I know you said that we are 200 years away from women having the same financial equity as men. So I would love for you to speak on that. Why, why is that? Well, no matter what we do, whenever we come up with these salary, and this is working within the patriarchal system of the companies that exist, right? Women are always paid less. And even when they try to true up, what happens is women don't ask for more money. The men ask for more money. Salesforce is notorious for doing true ups every, you know, sometimes every six months, sometimes a year, 18 months. And they always find that the women are lagging behind again. And this is in the US, okay? This is not in the world. This is in the US, right? The white women make 80% of, of men in general. And down Native Americans, you know, women who make like in the 30, 40 cents per, you know, men. It's 
a lot of what we just talked about is part of the reason, you know, we're not asking for enough. But on the other hand, we're also not being, we're being underestimated and underpaid as well. Because even if you get that big promotion or job, you know, in particular, once you get to the C-suite, you'll find that there's a man probably with a lesser title and making, you know, more money than you with less experience, younger, all of the above. And, you know, it's, I don't really, you know, I don't have the answer to that, but I'm not trying to solve for that. I'm trying to solve for it in ways where I'm representing women, et cetera. But I really, you know, the justice department started to build a matriarchal system. It's to put, you know, wealth into women's hands and, you know, to show women that if you hire women, buy women's products, you know, and put the economy, because we control 80% of the purchasing power back into women and cycle it that way, we can grow our own wealth, you know, you know, by hiring women for services, whether that's a lawyer, but like that own their own company, your accountant, your hairdresser, your, you know, nail salon to, you know, the products that you buy, whether that's, you know, the, at the supermarket, the restaurants you go to, you're putting it back in that economy um, or investing in women. And, you know, I think even in, you know, young women in their twenties are finding out about SPVs where they can put smaller amounts of money in and invest in female founded companies. Um, the more we can support that, the more we're putting money back into the female matriarchal economy that can, can grow in a totally different way than the capitalist society that we have right now, which is only been controlled by one segment of the population, which is, you know, straight white men. We haven't had it, a conscious capitalist system where the wealth is, you know, distributed across, you know, everybody that like every race, religion, gender, socioeconomic background, like it's never been that way, right? That hasn't been distributed that way. So really what we're focused on, it's justice department. Yeah, that's, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, obviously it's like shopping, like women-owned businesses, being aware of the services you use on a regular basis. Like I love that tip of just like, who owns your nail salon? You know, like, is there a grocery store that's women owned nearby that you can shop there instead of the chain that's owned by this huge corporation of men? You know, so I I like that equalizing the disparity in that way as a consumer, not even just as an employee, but as a consumer, I think that's really impactful and powerful. It's just interesting to think about the big picture of it because I've always, obviously you hear about the the gender gap all the time and like, that's just the truth of the country. And that's how it goes is that there is a disparity between what men are paid and what women are paid. And I have always just thought, oh, that's because like, you know, women are underestimated and are not supported. And, and, but it's interesting to hear this other layer that you're saying where it's like that men are asking for more and women are not asking. So like part of that is, which mm-hmm. I think to me, that feels really empowering that we as women actually have a piece in this. Cause before it just felt like we were victims of it, you know, that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we no, couldn't not like, all. it's so cool to think of that layer. Yeah. Where it's like, it, it's coming from us. Like you can close the gender gap by asking for more. Yeah. And I think that's, a really, really powerful way to phrase this very big concept that for a lot of people, myself included, it can feel very overwhelming and and like depressing because it feels like it's going nowhere. It's out of our control. So I, I love that reframe. For women who work at a male dominated company or industry, do you have any tips specifically for them, whether it is, you know, like, should there be websites where they can check where their male counterparts are being paid can they ask their employer, like, can you show me 
a pay just to see what what the male counterparts being paid? I mean, in, in short of them actually, you know, the company giving information, no, they can't give you information like that. Okay. But you can ask your male counterparts. Men love to talk about their salary. They love <laughs> to brag about it. It's, there, it's true. There's like in banking and finance, there's like lists, like they like all put together Excel sheets about how much money they make because they're like, we can all make a lot of money together. Whereas women look and they go, okay, there's one, there's one office for me. There's one seat for me, right? So you don't have to look at it as a competition. You should see them as your counterparts, right? You know, even if they don't see you, you should see them as their counterparts and you should be like, what are you making, bro? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's funny. That's probably so true that they have no problem being like, this is how much I make. Like, this is the money for them is is less of a discomfortable conversation than I think it is for women. What I also find is, you know, while we know all these stats and we know all the stuff, you know, men are often very shocked about it. Like, yeah, should they educate themselves on it? Probably. Do they? No. And so when you tell them these things, they're like, is that true? I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and so when they find out that you're being paid less, they actually kind of get pissed for the most part, you know? Um, and so they, they're just not on top of it as much, honestly. And so when you just tell them, they're just like, oh, that's like, yeah, that's not right. You know, not maybe not all of them, but, you know, for the most part, I find that they are invested in this as well. They don't want to be seen as the bad guy. They don't want to be, you know, the, you know, the collective bad guy for being a guy. They were just born, right? In particular, like, you know, millennial Gen Z men and alpha men, they really care. Like the Gen Z population and my kids are alphas. Like they really care about this stuff. And, you know, they'll go to bat too. They don't want to be seen as privileged because of how, you know, they want to be, you know, and if they are, they want to be seen as an advocate, so it's totally fine to ask them and, and get them um, on your side, you know, because they look up and they just see everyone like, you know, sick finance, all just a bunch of guys wearing blue vests. You know what I mean? With button up shirts. Like they're like, yeah, we're all the same. You know, like I remember I was on the board of Barclay Center in New York for a while. And we were um, I took um, we were invited to playoff games for the Nets. And uh, we go to this big suite and I took a client of mine, a woman, and we're like talking, uh, you know, to all these different people. And somebody was finally like, why are you, you know, why are you doing this like for women? Like your whole career is just devoted to like making women rich and only representing women. And I was like, can you, will you look around right now? And there's probably about 60 people in this suite. It was a massive suite. He goes, yeah. I go, how many women are in here? And he was like, oh my God, it's only you too. And I said, yeah, I know. But this is what men do all day long, right? They go to sports stuff and they talk about business. And then, no, no, no. where are all your wives? Home watching your kids. I was like, no, you know what I mean? They don't, uh, they don't even realize it because they're so used to business just being around people who look just like them. They don't even realize it. So, you know, I wouldn't, count them out as advocates so quickly. That's a really good tip. And I like that you said of not seeing them as competition, seeing them as yeah. maybe something that can help you out in getting what you deserve. Yeah. So I, yeah. I love that. That's so that's so interesting. You're right. They probably, not to generalize all men, but like, I'm sure a lot of them, you just don't think about it. You know, you're like, like, you don't have to think about it. Whereas if you're the only woman in the room, you sure as hell know that you are the only woman in the room. Yeah. 
for those women who are maybe like, you know, in a male dominated industry or company, not only just how can they advocate for themselves, but how can they use being a woman to their advantage? Well, oftentimes, I mean, it, look, it takes a lot of uh, bravado, you know, to do these kinds of things. But to say, like, here's my perspective as a woman in business, like just seeing it from a different viewpoint. This is how I would think about it. And making sure they understand that it's like a positive thing in the, you know, in the in the diverse way. Look, you got to read the room. You never really know. But seeing things from another perspective is often very helpful. Look, it's not so easy when you're the only woman and it's not so easy when you're not at a certain level. But if you can find those other advocates, you can find your kind of crew of people that will support all the different kinds of ways that they could make a place more accepting to diversity. I hate it that's always the women that have to like do all of that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like the men should be the ones who are like talking about diversity and learning about diversity. But we're the ones who are, who are raising our hands to, to talk about it. And, you know, we need to be talking about it. And eventually that will go away. But, you know, if that is offering to have some kind of diversity. Yeah, it's a great tip. I love what you said, too, about using being a woman, like making it sound like it's a good thing because it is. Like we have yeah. so many superpowers. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who are in the position where they are the only ones, they're in a male-dominated field, they feel like they have to just quiet that part of them and just be more like their male counterparts. Yeah. But I think that's so I, that's a really fascinating way to flip it of it's actually a superpower to be a woman and you can express yeah. that and make sure that you are like showing your company, your boss, your other colleagues that that is a good thing, not something that needs to be suppressed or honed in. Yeah, in particular, if you're customers, the consumers, whoever it is, or women, you have every opportunity to to say, you know, from my perspective as a woman, this is what I would want to see here or do, et cetera, et cetera. I love that. That's such a good tip. Do you have any more advice for women out there who are looking to make more money and build their wealth? Any other tips? Add 30% always, you know. Every year? <laughs> just, just, just always be going for it. What I would say though, is making sure that you're always striving for the next thing. Like, even if you don't think you're ready, you know, I think we've all heard it's like men, men go for things that uh, for, you know, hundred percent when they're at 70 and women have think they have to be at 130. You don't, there's, you know, you, there is learning on the job. Not everybody was that person. When I was, you know, leaving, uh, Rock Nation and, and looking for a new job, like executive recruiters. I was like, I want a president level or above. I was an EVP. And they're like, well, you've never been a president. I was like, neither was Obama until he was the president. Like, <laughs> that is a great point. You can't argue with that. But, you know, I, I think my main point is like, know that you're worth it. You deserve it. There is no reason that you don't deserve it any more than somebody else. You know what I mean? And you're going to bring it your all because you are. So you always have to know that deep inside whenever you feel like that moment of weakness, the moment of like, I'm not good enough, like let that pass before you make any real moves. Yeah. Reminding yourself that you are actually worth more than probably what you're thinking. I That reminds yeah. me, I just heard a statistic. I forget where, but I it's like men apply to jobs when they think that they're like 60% good for the job, yeah. like where, the, and women have to be a hundred percent. Like if there's a few things where they're yeah. like, oh, I'm not qualified for that. They won't apply, yeah. but men will at 60%. Yeah. 
That's what that was what I was trying to say. And that it's a like I think it's a Harvard um, Business School study. Yeah, if men are like seventy percent prepared, they will go for a hundred percent. Whereas women, like they're li- overly prepared for something that they go for. Which I kind of like that because then for me, like the way my brain is working now, I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling sixty percent qualified, and I know there's some things here I'm not qualified for, that's going to be like a go ahead for me, you know, to be like. I, I yeah. you have to have that number in your head of like, I don't have to be exactly what you're saying, a hundred percent qualified for this promotion for this next thing. Like I just have to have 60% and know that I will learn on the job and prove that. So yeah. I, I think kind of like, that's a good way to create more equity is to know if that's what, you know, men are doing to get them ahead. We can do that too. It just takes the awareness that that's something that we're doing to hold ourselves back. Yes, Exactly. Okay, the last little thing I want to talk to you about is I'm sure you have got to have some kind of rituals or routines or anything that helps you stay energized and calm and relaxed through your super busy days. So do you have anything that you do that helps you stay focused, energized, motivated throughout your day? Oh, God. I'm not so good at this. I mean, look, sleeping, one of them. I I prioritize sleep. Sleep is a very big thing and it's so restorative and regenerative and can put you you know, in a totally different mood. I also try to work out almost every single day. I've, it totally changes my mood. If I feel that like, like I'm something stuck in my head and I'm just like angry or pissed about it, whatever, I have to stop what I'm doing and I have to go do something in movement or whatever in order to get that uh, out of my brain. Because like, it's not, it's going to take such a mind share out. You know, I think I do all the same rituals as everybody, you know, every day. Like, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm really good at this. It's all like self-talk and, you know, improvement. And, you know, I think that continues on in your whole life because, you know, if you're constantly striving to be better at anything that you're doing, then you're constantly building, you know, in yourself too, right? And so that never stops. And so just being open and curious, making sure I'm open and curious, looking at both sides of things, taking care of my mental health, sleep, giving myself time at night to like calm down and in the morning and not feel like anxious, et cetera. Like even this morning, it was like an early morning, the kids had a a test. And so they had to get up, you know, and I made sure and made all, you know, different breakfasts and all this kind of stuff. And it was like super early. And I came back and I was like, I I had to force myself not to start looking at my phone before like nine o'clock because there was no reason for me to. And I was like, okay, give myself a break. And it's just checking in, just checking in with myself. That's super important. I love that because it's so tempting to be like, oh my God, I have a free second. Let me check my email. Let me check my Slack. But to know like, no, actually what's going to be better for my day is I'm going to take a minute for myself, knowing that I will accomplish everything. Because I do, I think that not only helps you in the moment, but it sets you up for success throughout the entire day. Because you're coming from a place of calm, relaxed, time for myself, recharging your battery. So then you can put it all into your work during the day. Exactly. That's a great tip. Okay, Jennifer, we are going to wrap up with just a couple of rapid fire questions. First one, what is your coffee order? It is pressed coffee with almond milk. Yum. Fancy. I like it. Okay. The best piece of business advice you've ever received? Trust your gut. That's a good one. You don't hear that a lot with business. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, women have intuition. It's called women's intuition for a reason. Mm, I love it. I love it. Trust your gut. It's so good. Okay. Last one. Selfish question for me. I have to know who is the favorite celebrity you've worked with? Oh, I can't say that. That would just be mean. (laughs) 
I'm sure it's impossible to pick. Do you have a couple of favorite moments or like highlights of your career working with certain celebrities? I mean, look, working with Jay-Z and Beyonce was an obvious highlight. And Rihanna, because she was a rock nation, was amazing. Like, you know what I mean? I can't even, you know, it's like hard to even pick. So, you know, shame on you for making me. (laughs) I know. I knew this would be a hard one for you. I know. (laughs) Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. You truly have so much amazing advice for people and you're helping so many women. So thank you so much for joining us, for being here, for all your amazing advice. Where can everybody find you and the Justice Department to get more help and resources? So we are at the www.thejusticedept.com because the other Justice Department never bought the domain, believe (laughs) it or not. That's interesting. That's funny. It's a crazy, right? On TikTok, we're at Taking Care of Lady Business because I also have a podcast called Taking Care of Lady Business, which is a device for women you know, buy women, tactical tips, et cetera, in the workplace. And also at thejustice.dept. And I'm at Jennifer Justice L on Instagram. But thank you so much. This was amazing. I love everything that you're doing for young women and building them up and helping them in their journeys and their careers. So well done. Thank you, Jennifer. That means so much coming from you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or theeverygirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com